brought to you by Charity Mobile, the phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to your favorite charity. No contracts, nationwide coverage, risk-free guarantee. Learn more at CharityMobile.com. So I have for you today, possibly the hardest teaching of all Catholic teachings. A book published in the 19th century during Pope Leo XIII's tenure called The Catholic Dogma. It is by Father Michael Mueller, a priest who they have tried very, very hard to quietly sweep away, have modern Catholics forget about him. In The Catholic Dogma, you'll be hearing here the introduction, which is a defense and a sort of state of affairs, if you will, on the dogma Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus. There is no salvation outside the church. This is a dogma that the church still holds to today. It's just since the council been redefined to be utterly meaningless. In our time, you basically have to be a nice person who says vaguely divine things about Jesus and you have the opportunity to be saved. As you'll hear this much harder teaching that the church held from the beginnings of the church until just a few decades ago <laughs> is much harder. Father Michael Mueller cites popes, he cites the writings of St. Augustine, he cites the Church Fathers. Every authoritative text imaginable, he cites. It's not an optional dogma, none of them are. And bear all this in mind, because right now there is a synod of synodality going on with non-Catholic observers who are participating in the discussions. We see at present, the man the world acknowledges as Pope, telling people, essentially, not to convert and giving value to their competing idea systems, which you will hear in this text explicitly condemned by popes, explicitly condemned by the fathers of the church, by doctors of the church. And those who would do such things, meaning who would tell others that they are fine where they are and that they should only strive to be the best of what they are and telling them that they can be saved outside the church as being utter wretches and enemies of Christ. They're not my words. They are the words of the magisterium of the church. And for those who will attempt to hurl the Feniite title at me, I affirm the teaching of Extra Ecclesia Nulla Salus as taught by the magisterium of the church. Full stop. This is what the church teaches. I don't get to the politics. Not on this. I just affirm what the church has always taught on this. And this is one of those teachings that when you realize what is being taught, you will feel inadequate in, your, in what you have done to bring souls to the church, especially with those loved ones of yours whom are not, who do not share our faith. Here's Father Michael Mueller from his book, The Catholic Dogma. St. Paul in his epistle to St. Timothy exclaims, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust, avoiding the profane novelties of words and oppositions to, of knowledge falsely so called. See 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Who is at present this Timothy? asks Vincent of Larens, and he answers, It is the body of the pastors of the church, and therefore every pastor must apply these words of St. Paul to himself. O Timothy, O pastor, O doctor, or priest, keep that which is committed to thy trust, 
pure and undefiled, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Never depart from the sacred words of God, once put into thy mouth. You therefore, says Bishop Hay, must never know what it is to temporize in religion, in order to please men, nor to adulterate even one iota of the gospel of Christ to humor them. You must declare the sacred truths revealed by Jesus Christ in their original simplicity, without seeking to adorn them with persuasive words of human wisdom, much less disguise them in a garb not their own. Truth, plain and unadorned, is the only weapon you must employ against your adversaries, regardless of their censure or their approbation. This is the truth, you must say, revealed by God. This you must embrace, or you can have no part with him. If the world looks upon what you say as foolishness, you must not be surprised, for you know that the sensual man perceiveth not the things that are of the Spirit of God, for it is foolishness to him, and he cannot understand it. But that foolishness of God is wiser than men, and pitying this blindness, you must earnestly pray to God to enlighten them, with modesty admonishing them, if peradventure God may give them repentance to know the truth. If there was ever a time when it was especially necessary for every pastor of the church to watch over the purity of faith and morals which the church has entrusted to him, it is a present age and country in which so many condescensions and compliances are admitted and received at the expense of the purity of Catholic faith and morals. And the narrow way that leads to life is converted, and the opinion of men to the broad road that leads to destruction. This remark applies especially to the latitudinarian principle so common nowadays that a man may be saved in any religion, provided he lives a good life, according to the light he has. For by this the faith of Christ is evacuated, and the gospel rendered of no avail. One of our so-called elder brothers, or those of the neighboring religion in their region, a heathen, are all comprehended in this scheme. And if they live a good moral life, have as good a right to salvation as a Christian. To be a member of the Church of Christ is no longer necessary, since if we lead a good moral life, we are in the state of salvation whether we belong to her or not. What a wide field does this give to the passions of men? What liberty to all the whims of the human mind? It is therefore of the utmost consequence to state and to show plainly the revealed Catholic truth that there is no salvation out of the Catholic Church. It must be remembered that every Catholic dogma is a revealed truth that has always been held by the fathers of the Church from the beginning and must therefore be interpreted not according to modern opinions and latitudinarian principles, but according to the faith of the fathers and doctors of the church. And therefore, Vincent of Laren says, A true Catholic is he who loves the truth revealed by God, who loves the church, the body of Christ, who esteems religion, the Catholic faith, higher than any human authority, talents, eloquence, and philosophy. All this he holds in contempt and remains firm and unshaken in the faith which he knows has always from the beginning been held by the Catholic Church. And if he notices that anyone, no matter who he may be, interprets a dogma in a manner different from that of the fathers of the Church, he understands that God permits such an interpretation to be made, not for the good of religion, but as a temptation, according to the words of St. Paul. For there must also be heresies, that they also who are reproved may be made manifest to you. And indeed, no sooner are novel opinions proclaimed than it becomes manifest what kind of a Catholic a man is. Hence, as St. Augustine says, a theologian who is humble will never teach anything as true Catholic doctrine, unless he is perfectly certain of the truth which he asserts, and proves it from Holy Scripture and the tradition of the Church. Those who have learned theology well, says St. Basil, will not allow one iota of Catholic dogma to be betrayed. They will, if necessary, willingly undergo any kind of ending in their defense. They will propose each dogma, 
especially the all-important dogma, out of the church there is no salvation. In the words of the church, explain it as she understands it. They are most careful not to weaken in the least the meaning of the great dogma by the way of proposing or explaining it. Why does not St. Paul say, if one preached to you a gospel contrary to that instead of beside that which we have preached to you? It says, says St. John Chrysostom, to show us that one is accursed who even indirectly weakens the least truth of the gospel. See Cornelius Elapidae in his analysis of the epistle to the Galatians. As there is, says Pius IX, but one God the Father, one Christ his Son, one Holy Ghost, so there is also only one divinely revealed truth, only one divine faith, the beginning of man's salvation and the foundation of all justification, by which faith the man lives, and without which it is impossible to please God, to be admitted to the communion of his children. And there is but one true, holy, Catholic, Roman Church and divine teaching authority, founded upon Peter by the living voice of the Lord, out of which church there is neither the true faith nor the eternal salvation, since no one can have God for his father who has not the church for his mother. The Holy Ghost, says St. Augustine, is to the body of Christ, which is the church. What the human soul is to the human body, it is by the soul that each member of the body lives and acts. In like manner, it is the Holy Ghost that the just man lives and acts. As the soul does not follow a member which is cut off from the body, so in like manner does the Holy Ghost not follow a member which has been justly cut off from the body of Christ. He, therefore, who wishes to obtain life everlasting, must remain vivified by the Holy Ghost. And in order to remain vivified by the Holy Ghost, we must keep charity, love the truth, and desire unity. Therefore, no one can find life everlasting except in the Catholic Church. Where unity is wanting, there can be no divine charity. Hence, it is that divine charity can be kept only in the Catholic Church. Now, as no one can obtain salvation without having the Spirit of Christ or divine charity, and as the Spirit or divine virtue, which is called the soul of the Church, is kept only in the unity of the Church, it is evident that out of the Church there is positively no salvation. It must be remembered that every dogma is exclusive and admits of no interpretation contrary to that which it has received from the beginning. To every dogma, therefore, may be added what Pius IX added to the definition of the Immaculate Conception of the Ever-Blessed Virgin Mary, namely, Wherefore, if any persons, which God forbid, shall presume to think in their hearts otherwise than we have defined, let them know that they are condemned by their own judgment, that they have suffered shipwreck in faith and have fallen away from the unity of the Church. Let those, therefore, says Vincent of Larens, who have not learned theology well, learn it better. Let them to try to understand of each dogma as much as they are able, and let them believe what they are not able to understand. Let them remember the words of St. Paul. If one shall teach you anything besides that which you have received, let him be anathema. It is according to this Catholic and apostolic spirit that we have endeavored to explain our religion, and especially the great dogma. Out of the Catholic Church there is positively no salvation. But our Explanation, it seems, is too Catholic for some individuals, because we have not admitted it any modern opinions and latitudinarian principles. Believing, therefore, that they would do a service to God and to their fellow men, especially to their separated brethren, they have, through the Buffalo Catholic Union in times, made known that we have misrepresented Catholic belief concerning the dogma, out of the church there is no salvation. The Right Reverend George Hay, Bishop of Edinburgh, Scotland, who, when yet a Protestant, took the vow to do all he could to extirpate popery, wrote a treatise entitled, An Inquiry Whether Salvation Can Be Had Without True Faith and Out of the Communion of the Church of Christ. 
In this treatise, the pious and very learned prelate of the church proves most clearly that out of the true church no one can be saved, and adds that it is only of late that those loose way of thinking and speaking about the necessity of true faith and of being in communion with the church of Christ has appeared among the members of the church, and that this is one of the strongest grounds of its condemnation. It is a novelty. It is a new doctrine. It was unheard of from the beginning. Nay, it is directly opposed to the uniform doctrine of all the great lights of the church in all former ages. It is therefore a matter of surprise that anyone should call this point in question. This, indeed, can only be accounted for from the general spirit of dissipation and disregard for all religion, which so universally prevails nowadays. For the first authors of the so-called Reformation, and some of their most candid followers, seeing the strong proofs from Scripture for this point, and not finding the smallest foundation in the sacred writings to support the contrary, have solemnly acknowledged it, however much it made it against themselves. For the Protestant Church of Scotland, and in her Confession of Faith, agreed upon by the divines of Westminster, approved by the General Assembly in the year 1646, and ratified by Act of Parliament in 1649, in the chapter on the Church speaks thus, the visible church, which is also Catholic or universal under the gospel, not confined to one nation as before under the law, consists of all those throughout the world that profess the true religion and of their children, and is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, the house and family of God, out of which there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. But their predecessors in the preceding century, when the Presbyterian religion first began in Scotland, speaks no less clearly on the same subject, for in their confession of faith, authorized by Parliament in the year 1560, as a doctrine grounded upon the infallible word of God, they speak thus, Article 16, quote, As we believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, so we do most constantly believe that from the beginning there has been, and now is, and to the end of the world shall be one Kirk, that is to say, one company and multitude of men, chosen by God, who rightly worship and embrace him by true faith in Jesus Christ. Which Kirk is Catholic, that is universal, because it containeth the elect of all ages, out of which, Kirk, there is neither life nor eternal felicity. And therefore we utterly abhor the blasphemy of them that affirm that men who live according to equity and justice shall be saved, what religion soever they have professed. This confession of the original Kirk of Scotland was reprinted and published in Glasgow in the year 1771, from which this passage is taken. Calvin himself confesses the same truth in these words, speaking of the visible church. Out of its bosom, says he, no remission of sins, no salvation is to be hoped for, according to Isaiah, Joel, and Ezekiel, so that it is always highly pernicious to depart from the church, and thus he affirms in his institutions themselves. We shall add one testimony more, which is particularly strong. It is of Dr. Pearson, a bishop of the Church of England, in his exposition of the Creed, where he says, The necessity of believing the Catholic Church appeared, first in this, that Christ hath appointed it the only way to eternal life. We read at the first Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And what was then daily done hath been done since continually. Christ never appointed two ways to heaven, nor did he build a church to save some and make another institute for other men's salvation. There is no other name under which, under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved, but the name of Jesus. And that name is not otherwise given under heaven than in the church. As none were saved from the deluge, but such as were within the ark of Noah, framed for their disposition by the command of God, as none of the firstborn of Egypt lived, but such as were within those habitations whose doorposts were sprinkled with blood, by the appointment of God for their preservation, as none of the inhabitants of Jericho could escape the fire or sword, but such as were within the house of Rahab, for whose protection a covenant was made, 
So none shall ever escape the eternal wrath of God who belong not to the church of God. Behold how far the force of truth prevailed amongst the most eminent members of the Reformation, before latitudinarian principles had crept in among them. It is true indeed that, though the founders of these churches, convinced by the repeated and evident testimonies of the word of God, professed this truth and inserted it into the public standards of their religion, yet their posterity now disclaim it and accuse the Catholic Church of being uncharitable for holding it. But this only shows their inconsistency and proves that they are devoid of all certainty in what they believe. For if it was a divine truth when these religions were founded, that out of the true church and without the Catholic faith there is no salvation, it must be so still. And if their first founders were mistaken on this point, what security can their followers now have for any other thing they have taught? But the Catholic Church, always consistent and uniform in her doctrine, always preserving the words once put in her mouth by her divine master, at all times and all ages, has believed and taught the same doctrine as a truth revealed by God, that out of the true Church of Christ and without his true faith, there is no possibility of salvation. And the most authentic public testimony of her enemies proves that this is the doctrine of Jesus and of his holy gospel, whatever private persons from selfish and interested motives may say to the contrary. What a reproach must this be before the judgment seat of God to those members of the Church of Christ who call into question or seek to invalidate this great and fundamental truth, the very fence and barrier of the true religion, which is so repeatedly declared by God in his holy scriptures, professed by the Church of Christ in all ages, attested in the strongest terms by the most eminent lights of Christianity, and candidly acknowledged by the most celebrated writers and divines of the Reformation. Will not every attempt to weaken the importance of this divine truth be considered by the great God as betraying his cause and the interests of his holy faith? And will those who do so be able to plead even their favorite invincible ignorance in their own defense before him? But let us hear greater authority speaking on all this, this all-important matter. In his encyclical letters dated December 8, 1849, and December 8, 1864, and August 10, 1863, and in his allocation on December 9, 1854, Pope Pius IX says, quote, It is not without sorrow that we have learned an another no less pernicious error, which has been spread in several parts of Catholic countries and has been imbibed by many Catholics who are of opinion that all of those who are not at all members of the true Church of Christ can be saved. Hence, they often discuss the question concerning the future fate and condition of those who die without having professed a Catholic faith and give the most frivolous reasons in support of their wicked opinion. It is indeed a faith that no one can be saved outside the apostolic Roman church, that this church is the one ark of salvation, that he who has not entered it will perish in the deluge. We must mention and condemn again even the most pernicious error, which has been imbibed by certain Catholics, who are of the opinion that those people who live in error have not the true faith, and are separated from Catholic unity, may obtain life everlasting. Now this opinion is most contrary to Catholic faith, as is evident from the plain words of our Lord, as also from the words of St. Paul. To entertain opinions contrary to this Catholic faith is to be an impious wretch. We therefore again reprobate, prescribe, and condemn all and every one of these perverse opinions and doctrines. And it is our absolute will and command that all sons of the Catholic Church shall hold them as reprobated, prescribed, and condemned. It belongs to our apostolic office to rouse your episcopal zeal and watchfulness to do all in your power to banish from the minds of the people such impious and pernicious opinions, which lead to indifference of religion which we behold spreading more and more to the ruin of souls. Oppose all your energy and zeal to these errors, and employ zealous priests to impugn and annihilate them, and to impress very deeply upon the minds and hearts of the faithful the great dogma of our most holy religion, that salvation can be had only in the Catholic faith. 
often exhort the clergy and the faithful to give thanks to God for the great gift of the Catholic faith. Now, it's not something very shocking to see such condemned errors and perverse opinions proclaimed as Catholic doctrine in a Catholic newspaper and in books written and recently published by Catholics. We have therefore deemed it our duty to make a strong, vigorous, and uncompromising presentation of the great and fundamental truth, the very fence and barrier of the true religion. Out of the church, there is positively no salvation. Against those soft, weak, timid, liberalizing Catholics who labor to explain away all points of Catholic faith offensive to non-Catholics and to make it appear that there is no question of life and death, of heaven and hell, involved in the differences between us and Protestants. Not to free your neighbor from religious errors, says Pope Leo, when it is your power to do so, is to show to be an error yourself. And therefore, says Pope Gregory, he whose duty it is to correct his neighbor when he is in fault and yet omits to make the correction, makes himself guilty of the faults of his neighbor. Indeed, says Pope Innocent III, of those whose duty it is to keep the deposit of faith pure and defiled, not to oppose erroneous doctrine is to prove of it, and not to defend at all doc true doctrine is to suppress it. That book was published in the papacy of Leo XIII. And it's a hard one for us. I'm sure many who watched this didn't make it to here and clicked off and discussed, probably a few unsubscribed. After all, we now exist in what uh, one more controversial Catholic outlet calls the Church of Nice, where hard things, hard truths aren't taught, not anymore. We try desperately to get along with the world and have passively ignored this the real meaning of this dogma that for 19 and a half centuries was proclaimed by the church fearlessly, often at great price. Now our prelates for many decades will hem and haw about it, including popes, multiples of them, virtually all of them since the council. They will try to get along with the world for whatever reason on this issue specifically. And it's from the denial of this issue that you get the overt denial of Christ the King, and you get the essentially the, the all the other surrenders on moral issues that the Church has done, for the to, in the name of the esteem of the secular world. Perhaps we should be done with all that. Was this hard for you to hear? Let me know in the comments. Again, I affirm everything that the Church taught by the the formal magisterium of the Church taught on this issue prior to the Council. That's it. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. And like and subscribe if you haven't. It does help. So to share this on social media, that helps too. So always pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.